<laughs> the book heaven. I've been know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I've been lost for a month then. Does <laughs> so anyone like to share a testimony with us this afternoon? I will. My grandson had a wreck on Wednesday, and I thank the Lord that he put a shield of protection around him and the person that was in the accident with him because they didn't have to be rushed to the hospital. And I said, I just hope God will continue to pour out his mercy and grace because, you know, even through an accident, you still have to deal with, you know, the insurance companies and stuff. But I just thank God that they didn't get hurt. Amen. Amen. And uh, my testimony is uh, I asked for prayers for Ella May, and she is, her situation has improved. She's in a, a, a shelter, and they're going to help her find housing and everything. So her and her grandson in a better, better situation. Well, thank for y'all, you, all y'all prayers. Amen. 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 Thanks for the report, Alvina. Yeah, that's beautiful. I always like to hear answered prayer reports. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go ahead. We'll get started with, we're in chapter 11 of the book Heaven by Ellen White. And this was, chapter is titled, Some Are Already in Heaven. Can you imagine that? Some are already in heaven. Wouldn't it be amazing to already be in heaven? Mm -hmm. I can't wait. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting close. We know the Lord's on his way. So mm -hmm. be praying for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and into the lives of all those who accept Christ, that we can be prepared when he does come. It'll be nothing worse than knowing that Christ is coming and then to be unprepared. So just off the top of your head, who do you know that's already in heaven of human beings? Enoch, Moses. Moses, Enoch, and Ezekiel. I mean... Elijah. No, I, Elijah, Elijah, sorry. Yeah, Moses, Enoch, and Elijah. Uh, when we first uh, first starting out, it talks about Enoch. Enoch's heart was upon what? Uh, what did you think about? What was his concern? In, about heaven. Uh, yeah, eternal treasures. And many times our thoughts are on earthly treasure, but Enoch's thoughts were always above, thinking heavenly thoughts. Would your life be different if instead of thinking earthly thoughts, you thought heavenly thoughts? How would it be any different? What would be the difference if you thought heavenly thoughts instead of earthly thoughts? I think I would be less um, less anxious, worried, frustrated, aggravated, irritated. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyone sure. else? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I What'd you say? Paula, what'd you say? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought someone else was speaking. I said, I think about it often. Joy and peace. Yes. Yeah. That by itself would be a real blessing. Mm -hmm. Lots of confidence, um, but not in me or anything on earth, but just a lot of confidence in God. What exactly is, what does it mean when you're thinking earthly thoughts? What type of thoughts would those be about? Thinking about your job, you know, your your kids getting on your nerves. <laughs> you know. Dread, obligation, to-do list. Mm. 
and the fact that you know everybody's going to die. Everybody's not going to die. Everybody's not going to die. Well, if Jesus comes before we go, not. uh, But, I mean, that's inevitable. You're born and you die. So I know I'm going to lose loved ones. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. But in the morning, let me ask y'all this, and don't answer (laughs) because in the morning, what's the first thing you do? when you wake up in terms of thoughts? Just think to yourself, are your thoughts earthly thoughts or are your thoughts heavenly thoughts? You don't have to answer that one. I want but, to answer. Huh? I want to answer. Okay, you want to answer, go ahead. Be like, what do I gotta do today, huh? <laughs> but I'd be like, you know, thank you for waking me up, guys, like that. That's a, that's two really good examples. One's a heavenly thought, thank you, God. The other one's an earthly thought. What do I have to do today at work or whatever? So it, as it was, everybody was mentioning, we'd be a lot less stressed out. We'd be a lot less angry. We'd be not so bent up and worn out, not so ang- anxious for things that's coming that we don't know about. There'd be peace that passes understanding. We wouldn't have to uh, look over our shoulder and Look at our to-do list. Oh, I got to check this off. And what have I missed? It would just really be heaven on earth, wouldn't it? Now think this. You, we can have that type of life if we train our thoughts to think heavenly thoughts. Think heavenward and not earthly. Because uh, Lakita mentioned we'd be so much more um, positive-minded, so much more confident knowing that God is with us and that he'd never forsake us. But we have to train our thoughts to be heaven-minded. Remember all the promises that God gives you. Remember his uh, promises in the word and the scripture and his will. Remember that he has you in the palm of his hands. Remember that he is God and there is none other. Remember that He that nothing comes to you that he doesn't already know about. Remember that he has plans for you, plans uh, of an expected end. And when we think in those terms, our entire day would be much more positive. But as you go throughout the day, even though you start it that way, what are you going to have to do every so often? Stop and pray. Yeah. And I'm and I'm gonna give you an example. If you if you in a car, if you in a car and you driving, oh Lord, people cut you off. They run through red lights while you sitting there, and they cussing you out. And all you can do is say, Lord, just keep me in your will. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yesterday, Lakita and I had that same experience. We were sitting at the red light, cars just going around us. <laughs> you know, it's like they have a special day that they don't have to stop at the red light. And uh, somebody, parked, some lady parked right in the middle of the street blocking traffic, and someone honked at her. And, of course, she didn't have any kind words to say to the person. But you really do. You have to be prayerful. Every so often, redirect your thoughts. Every so often, say another prayer. You know, it's just like guiding an airplane. You got to keep readjusting throughout the day. Paula, did you have a comment? Uh, No. Okay. The next paragraph says, and that's paragraph 99.2. What does that Matthew 5, 8 say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What is pure in heart? 
undefiled, pure. Hmm. Anybody else? You have good thoughts. You don't think evil of other people. You don't give into thoughts of jealousy and anger. No complaining and murmuring about, <clears throat> excuse me, about anything. No thoughts of vindictiveness or retaliation. No holding in anger and malice towards other people. Well, it's a lot too pure and hard, huh? <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. And your desire, your full desire is to fully serve God and to just serve God and serve him. You know, like the disciples live a life like that or like Jesus and Sister White, she, you know, your um, work is just tied up in God. Everything is tied up in him. Mm. And, you know, every time I hear pure heart, I always think of Galatians 5 when they talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and temperance. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Filled yeah. with the yeah. And I always think of David. Wasn't it David that prayed part of his repentance? I think it was his repentance from Sheba. Um, he prayed, give me a clean heart and right spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do I have that right? Clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, oh Lord. Yeah, that's something else we have to say every day. Do you think becoming pure in heart happens overnight? No. No. Lifetime. Yeah, it's part uh -huh. of that sanctification, right? A lifetime's work. And what is about the second part of that? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that mean? What do you get from that? Um, I think God is saying they are they are so close to having his characteristics that he's going to make sure that they're saved into the kingdom. Okay. Well, the bottom line is you can't get to the kingdom without a pure heart. Mm-hmm. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, as we we're just saying, it doesn't happen overnight. How long did Enoch take to, to get purity of 300, heart? 300 years. Woo. Anybody here think they can do that? No. Mm -mm. 300 years. Wow. And sometimes we, we uh, get concerned about the life we're living and we say, oh, man, another day, another dollar. And ooh, I've been uh, working all these many years at the office and my kids been getting on my nerves for this long and the neighbors been worrying me for this long. But think about 300 years of Enoch seeking purity of heart, you know, and I thought this was interesting. It says for three centuries. Century, hundred years, he had walked with God day by day, longing for a closer union, near and near, through command, until God took him to Himself. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Of all the Bible characters, and and a lot is not talked about Enoch. It just talks about, and he walked with God, then he was not. When they were going through the lineage of who begat who, and then they died. Yeah, everybody but Enoch. I am. I'm not a jealous person, but I am so jealous of Enoch. <laughs> just like, I couldn't even imagine. He, even Moses had to die first, you know. Yeah. But Enoch, you know, he didn't free, you know, Israelites or whatever. He, he was just cool with God, and he just took him up. Amazing. I heard a pastor say, 
Uh, every day Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Every day he walked with God closer and closer, so much so that at one point God told Enoch, you closer to my house than yours, so just come on with me. <laughs> just from walking with God constantly. And Enoch was one of the first. He was the first among men to enter heaven. Now that had to be something by itself. Have you ever been someplace, and you know how we do, when we go to a restaurant or a, a resort or a hotel, we always look for some of us, right? Mm -hmm. To feel a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> kind of know that, okay, it's cool to be here. Well, think about <laughs> Enoch, the first human being in heaven. And he looked around. There was no other humans there. Just Christ, the angels, God, etc. Well, I'm sure all the um, um, lack of confidence and reservation was removed from him. He had to be changed mm -hmm. in the twinkling of the eye, I presume. <laughs> but it's still amazing. I mean, all the other universes are probably marveled at that because, like I said, Enoch, he didn't free the captives. He did, There was nothing miraculous like Elijah was a great prophet and went up against Baal and, you know, did all those miraculous things and was caught up. But Enoch was just walking with the Lord and then he was caught up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Paula, I'm glad you brought that up because it makes me realize that God, he loves common people just like he loves anybody else. Because I see Enoch, like you said, he don't have all this prestige. They didn't say well, he was filthy rich or whatever. He was just a normal person that loved God and walked with him. It's amazing. Right. And, I wonder and what then when you look at Job, you would think that after everything Job went through, God would call him up. But you know, And, and God told Satan that Job was a righteous man. Then he still had to see death. And you know, another thing too is that during uh, during the time of trouble, then we are going to stand for um, before God without without an, an intermediary, without Jesus. Jesus will not stand be between us and the Father anymore because our sanctification we will have achieved, or whoever is alive will achieve have achieved that um, the same status that Enoch had. So I'd like to think that what about Enoch? Did he? Was he standing before the father with no intermediary because of his um, righteousness? Has he had he gotten to that uh, gotten to that point in his walk with God too? Because he went straight to heaven. It wasn't, it yeah. wasn't like they said he, he had to be changed. No, he went straight to heaven. Now it says, uh, let's see, it wasn't an easy life for him. Let's not get the idea that he had it easy. It still was pursuing purity of heart uh, while on earth, closer and closer for communion with God. It'll say a little bit more about him down a little farther. But who was someone else that entered heaven? The next paragraph. My favorite, Moses. Moses. How come that's your favorite, Cassie? How, how come that's your favorite? Mo Moses is my favorite character. How come? Why? Because that Moses started off having having the the best of everything, but he was willing to say to uh, to uh, Pharaoh and and anybody else, I don't need that stuff. I serve a living God. So he didn't care all the riches that he could have continued to claim. He gave it all up to trust in God and to do God's will. And I said, and and it's, that that is something that I said. 
I don't care what's on this earth. There's nothing going to come between me and God. Amen. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will keep me in, 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 in God's will to that extent. Amen to that. Well, you know, what I think about Moses, I think by nature, Moses may have had a little impulsivity in him and that he impulsively killed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what makes me think about that is God can even use our weaknesses to do something, well, I'm going to say it great, to do something great or to work through us for whatever cause, even our weaknesses and our, um, what some would call characterological flaws, God used that in Moses um, to maybe even separate him from those riches that was so alluring, et cetera. Yeah. And you know, and as, I, as I read this section, I see that Satan, remind, Satan reminds us of stuff that we have done because he, he did it to God trying to say, well, Moses shouldn't be allowed to you do this and he should face death and all of this. I said, and God let him know that Moses was still his no matter what, but Satan will make, and I said, and, and I think in terms of you, when I hear about people getting depressed and I said, I'm not going to say that I have never been there. I said, but it makes, you know, you get to thinking about the stuff you've done in the past and that there's no way God is going to, you know, do anything for you now for what you have done. But that's, that's what Satan does. And that's what he did to Moses. Yeah. But you know, it's amazing that, that same impulse, uh, those same um, impulses or anger, because I, I always thought, because every character in the Bible has a character flaw, um, and, and that would, that makes it a cautionary tale and whatnot and lets you know that, you know, God can save that person, they can save me as well. But it was that same anger after 80 years. He, st- he struck the stone. It was that same impatience and anger. He struck the stone, and then God told him, you won't see the promised land. But God, for lack of a better term, you know, got his body to take him to heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, that story that Satan and I guess it was Jesus had a literal tug of war over Moses' soul or his body. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very interesting. You brought up that issue about Moses and uh, how Satan exulted at his success, causing Moses to sin against God and therefore come under dominion of death. And uh, at that point, the power of the grave, it says in our lesson, the power of the grave had never been broken. So everyone who had died were still in the graves. And this was the first time that Christ was about to give life to a dead person. So this was pretty amazing, and um, as as you mentioned, there was a, a tug of war about Moses' his mind, Satan says, and no, uh, Christ was saying, no, I've given my life for him. And instead of fussing and fighting with Satan about it, Jesus already knew the truth. And he says, uh, Satan was saying he declared even Moses couldn't keep the law and took to himself the glory due to Jehovah. And Paula, you mentioned what Moses sin. What was it that Moses had done that took glory from Jehovah? Do you remember that? He struck the rock. Yeah. He was supposed to speak to the rock. Mm-hmm. The rock. To Why did that make a difference? Because for the show of God's glory, like he didn't have to do no action. 
just speak when God's power, his words, what God wanted him to do. Yeah. And again, yeah, and again, it's that same impulse or anger, like I said, that that made him murder the um, the the soldier or whatever, the guard mm-hmm. in Egypt, was the same character flaw that made him strike the rock eighty years later after all the purging that had been done with him. Got to so stay. I mean, that's a lesson to me in that. Yeah, you got to stay aware. The devil don't mm-hmm. give up on trying to get you. So stay aware at all oh. times. Be prayerful at all times. And think about, too, um, that Moses, when he was at the Rock of Meribah, the Lord, Alvina said, the Lord told him to speak to the rock. And Moses said, here now, ye rebels, must I bring forth water from this rock? He said, must I bring it? And then he hit the rock like he actually had some power. That was where he put the glory that was due God on himself. And God's letting him know and everyone else that's not going to be stood for. The glory goes to God. It's not going to us. But Christ didn't stoop to go into controversy with Satan because he could have came up with all type of things against Satan. He could have told him about the deceptions he had wrought in heaven, brought that up. He might have pointed out how he lied in the Garden of Eden. He could have pointed out how he tempted Israel to murmur and complaining and how in an unguarded moment he surprised Moses into sin but Christ didn't even bother with all that. Does anyone remember what he said to Satan? Mm-mm. Right at the bottom of paragraph. Yeah. The Lord The Lord rebuked thee. Talking about God, the Father. He'll rebuke you. I'm not going to sit here and argue about it. What, do you, what does that mean to you as a Christian witness? Where Jesus said to the devil, the Lord rebuked you. Instead of going all into it with him. Well, you know what? He knew nothing he was going to say was going to convince Satan of anything. And if anything, this argument may have convinced some other unholy angels to fall too, you know. So sometimes when people are arguing and stuff and you see that where it's going, it's not a point of arguing with people because you're not going, what is that verse say, Lee, you know, um, a mind, something. A man convinced against his will is still a man unconvinced. Right. You know, so it's just like a waste of time to spend your time trying to argue about the Holy, about God. Plus, it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction to the heart. That's not our job to do all of that. We can just put the information out there and then people get to make a decision about how they're going to accept it and operate on it. And I agree with that, Lakita. So, what I usually do, I just try to give them book, give them the, give them the book, the verse, and 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 let them read it for themselves in the Bible. And like, and I think there's a verse in the Bible that talks about if they don't want to hear you or something, you can shake the dust off and keep going Mm -hmm. because you did give them book, chapter, and verse, and it's up to them to read it and to accept it. Mm -hmm. That's right, Paula. Where you had a comment? Oh, yeah, as far as uh, when, when uh, Jesus said, God rebuked thee, he wasn't even going to justify Satan with an argument. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't going to validate him at all. It's like, be gone with you, you know, rebuke mm-hmm. you. He, he, he wasn't going to validate or give anything because it was foolishness. There's no need arguing with that. He wasn't going to dignify, you know, him or whatever. Exactly. And you ever heard the phrase, the proof is in the pudding? <laughs> Yes. 
So well, Jesus or uh, Christ basically said, I'm not gonna argue with you, watch this, and raised Moses from the dead. That's it. He just proved I have power to raise the dead. No more arguments necessary. Nothing right. you can say about it. I just did it. He's already <laughs> defeated. There's nothing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Sometimes people say, uh, uh, those of us who are getting things done are tired of the people saying it can't be done. Plus, another <laughs> issue, too, is power. I mean, like, why should I argue with you? I got power. It's like a two-year-old, you know, two-year-old is, is screaming and hollering that they want to play with a knife. I don't have to argue with you. I take the knife and go on about my business. I don't have to do all that. Yeah, don't dignify with a response. Mm-mm, not at all. Yeah. You have the power. Why should I? Just here's the power. You don't have nothing else to say. Now, God had stopped Moses from seeing the Canaan land, but he got to see the heavenly Canaan land, which was much more because God understood the suffering Moses had endured. And he took note of every faithful act of service through all those years of conflict and trial that Moses had went through. God takes note of everything that we go through, all the moments of conflict and trial through every faithful act of service. He has never forgotten us. He never will forget us. So we have to remember that too. Sometimes it does get kind of tough and we start wondering, does God even hear me? Does God know what I'm going through down here? Of course he does. God knows the beginning from the end and he chooses to intervene when it's the right time and in the right way. Just like with Moses, he stepped in, he made a decision for an action and then he made another decision later upon that. So then Moses went from the grave to the Mount of Transfiguration. Does anyone like to explain the Mount of Transfiguration situation? Well, before we go there, Lee, I wanted to say this about Moses too. You know, after God had pronounced that you're not going to share in the land of Canaan, he didn't tell Moses, you know, I'm going to take you straight to heaven. He didn't say that at all. But Moses continued to work, you know, continued to do, be faithful to what God had called him to do. I mean, it would have been so easy to just lay in bed and cry and just think about how much <laughs> it was and, you know, to hate those people, you know, because they had made me do this thing. It would have just been so easy to give up. That's really, that's like amazing right there. That That is some type of character that had been developed with the Lord. And, and a lot of trust that even though, you know, like um, I think David said, yet though he slay me, I would serve the Lord, you know, having that type of faith is just like amazing it is a good point excellent point we all have to remember yeah. that when things don't go our way doesn't mean god has forsaken us doesn't mean he's forgot about us he's watching over each and every one of us okay I'm, uh someone explained to us the amount of transfiguration what went on there anybody remember that well, I just remember. Oh, go ahead. No, as far as I remember, that was when Jesus was getting ready to be um, nailed to the cross, and he was praying. I'm thinking he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and he was discouraged. And uh, the um, he had asked those disciples to you know tarry and and pray, you know, um, stay awake and pray with me. And he went away to have secret prayer. They were supposed to be praying over here doing intercessory prayer when he came back, you know, they were sleeping and um, 
So he did came back three times, I think, and then they were sleeping. And then he just told them to go in and sleep, you guys, go do what you need to do. But then God sent uh, Moses and Elijah to encourage Jesus in this moment of discouragement and, and fear. So they were there. And then, then the um, disciples wake up and see Moses and Elijah. Then they want to fix food for them and, you know, <laughs> all this stuff for them. But what, you know, what a um, privilege that Elijah and Moses had to just, man, what, what obedience can get, you know, the power of obedience. Um, when you obey God. It's amazing. Yeah, those were a couple examples of what went on. And and that was to encourage Christ, you know, because he was half man, uh, part man, fully man, fully God. And his emotions was kind of getting to him with knowing what he was about to go through. And yes, his father did send him encouragement that he was still with him, that the sacrifice would be accepted, etc. And Moses and Elijah were privileged to be there to encourage Christ. After all Christ had done, they were the ones that were there with him. And the disciples woke up and they saw it. And it was really amazing that they saw a representation of the kingdom of the redeemed. How was Moses, Elijah, and Christ a representation of the kingdom of the redeemed? But Moses, people, people would uh, some would still be alive when Jesus come and be taken up and son would uh, die and be uh, resurrected and taken up together, representative of one of each. Good, excellent. Anyone, anyone else want to add to it? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was exactly right. Uh, Elijah represented those who would be alive when Christ returns. Moses represented those who were dead but, but would be resurrected, and of course, Christ being himself. So it's pretty amazing, you know, many times we see representations in the throughout the scriptures, and it's not just the situation that currently we're reading about, but it also applies to something down through the ages, you know, or something spiritual uh, rec representation going on. So when we study our Bible and we read uh, maybe a situation or a story or a parable, don't just think it only applies to this one situation, because many times in the Bible, those situations apply to present, past, and future events that are going to be going on in life. So as has always been said, you can't just read the Bible like you're reading through a novel fiction book or, a, you know, you have to really study it and pray on it and ask the Lord to lead you to what he wants you to understand out of it. And it's really interesting that when we study our Bible, you might get one meaning out of a situation and I get another meaning uh, as the Holy Spirit leads us because we're all at different levels in our Christian walk. So it's uh, very important for us not to just run through the Bible quick as we can to say we read it, but to actually study it and ask God for his divine interpretation. Amen. And Elder Carol, I think that it's important, too, for us to come together and be able to pray and to, to listen to other people's point of views so that, you know, I find myself, somebody will say something, and I'll say, I need to go back and study that. And, and, and you know, not to say that I didn't study it, but to take time to really meditate and study on it, because there may have been something I missed. Yeah, it's very true. Also, too, what I was noticing there is that um, 
Jesus needed encouragement. So, and if you, um, and he accepted encouragement from Elijah and from Moses. And so, and, and he even asked for encouragement from his friends. So don't be afraid to reach out, you know, in dark times. Don't allow yourself to Satan to beat us down because that's his goal is to just get you off by yourself and just beat you down. But to reach out and talk to people. You know, I, I know when I first came into church, it was such an emphasis on, you know, people knowing my business. And it's like, what are you doing so much that you, know, <laughs> you so much that you can't, can't let people know? But if you're discouraged, we all get discouraged. Jesus got discouraged. And, and God was merciful and sent someone to um, comfort him. And if you need it, you know, reach out for it. Don't allow yourself to just, just get overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and sadness. You need somebody to pray with you sometimes. Yes, that's a good point. You know, think about the other two people. Well, think of all three of the people at that transfiguration event. You just mentioned how Christ, he went through some times where he was just uh, discouraged and wondering what was next. So did Moses. You know, after he killed the Egyptian and took off running, he was in fear for his life. And he was out in the wilderness. He didn't know which way was up. And Elijah he, too. When he Elijah was, too ran from um, ran from Jezebel. He was afraid of her, you know, and stuff. It sounded like Elijah spent a lot of times, you know, running from something and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's a good point you make is that we're all human beings. We have human emotions. So sometimes we let our emotions get us, but don't ever give up and just allow your emotions to dictate what you're going to do. As was mentioned about Elijah, he was so discouraged and scared of Jezebel that he told the Lord, you know, I had enough of this. Just take my life. Let me die. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, God knew that wasn't the best thing. Well, where would we be if, if God took us at our words when we were in those type of time periods? Mm -hmm. But the Lord in his mercy knows what's best for us. And he takes care of us. You know, I, I know. Hold on. For, but, but some, he was shorten the lifespan of some. So they won't have to enter all the uh, uh, sorrows and stuff coming on. So that's right. He was and you know, short. Huh? I, I was gonna. I was gonna say. And you notice too that God didn't send angels. He sent some. He sent people who had you know similar experiences that Jesus had. He didn't send you know the holy angels. I'm sure they could have comforted them because they comfort us. But he sent you know people who had been there, you know, seeing both sides of the fence firsthand. Yeah, any other comments on Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration? It's a it's a very important yeah, I, wait a minute. Okay. I got a question. I'm sorry. Uh, look, I'm doing what uh Patsy just said do because I thought the uh, Mount of Transfiguration was like after he resurrected and then before he uh, was gonna go to his father um he, Elijah and Moses appeared and then he was taken up or something in front of the disciples but I, so I looked it up cuz I think Lakita said it was in the garden of Gethsemane but um I I need to read through it but Matthew 17 and Matthew Matthew 17 to talk about it and Mark 9 2 both tell the same story but it doesn't my my version is wrong, but I don't. It doesn't say anything about um, him being in the garden. And uh, the garden of Gethsemane. 
that was a different event. The Mount of Transfiguration was a separate event. And then also Christ going to heaven, that was a third event, separate. But the Mount of Transfiguration wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't after Jesus had been, um, before. had been resurrected. It was before he was resurrected. He was in the, well, you're right, because Mount already means mountain. In the Mount of Transfiguration, he was uh, getting ready. Peter and John went up there with him, I think. Yeah, yeah. And when they went up there, they went to sleep, and he didn't want. He was trying to get some help. You know, he was like, "Oh, that's something else." No, it's it's They went to sleep. Well, they went to sleep in the garden, and they went to sleep on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because when they woke up on the mount, they said, "Hey, people with Jesus, let's build a tent and do all this stuff." And in the garden, they fell asleep. And Christ was asking them to pray, and he just told them, just sleep on the time. Yeah, okay, okay. Elder Carroll, let me get this straight. They went, I, I, I remember them sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane, but they also were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they went to sleep also. Only two of them, not all the disciples. Yeah, it was, I think it was John and Peter. Like two of them at the Mount of Transfiguration. And the, there was more than two, I believe, in the garden, but they all fell asleep. Yeah, yeah again, just take a look at it, uh, you know, during your studies. Let me ask you, was there another resurrection going on? We read about Moses' resurrection. Was there yeah. another? What was the other one we read about? And this on paragraph 104.1. When Jesus rose, I think a lot of people rose with him. A lot of people, which the, the righteous, yeah, the righteous, they rolled from the grave with them, and they went to heaven with them, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Why do you I think? I thought some went back. I thought some went back in the city, and people were amazed that they had been risen. Am I wrong? Am I on a different story? No, everybody's yeah, right. The same story. Everybody's right. You know, it's not. It's not one thing that happens, several things happen. So sometimes we'll remember one thing, but not the others. But all those things happen. They were raised from the dead. They did walk around town telling people, hey, Christ is risen. Then they did I'm go going to heaven. <laughs> did they, they still went to heaven after that? Yeah, all those things happen. So again, how, how many? How many? 104.1. How many? How many people? It does. It was 500. That, not, I don't think I've ever number? had a number, but it just says the graves of many that slept were opened. Oh, was it they were shown to over 500 people? Is that the number I'm coming up with? I'm not sure where you're getting 500. I'm not sure either, so continue. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, and the point being, again, there was what was called the sheaf, sheaf offering, sheaf of first fruits. And during the before the harvest, the people would pick the first grains off of their stalks, and then they would wave them before the Lord as an offering to say, thank you, Lord, for this harvest. Then they were allowed to go ahead and gather the rest of the harvest. So here we have Christ. He raised with these first uh, people who were resurrected as an offering so that the harvest can come later. So again, we were just talking about how things in the scriptures can be symbolic, mean one thing currently and mean something else in the future. 
So Christ raising these people from the dead with him is like the sheaf offering, say, here's the first fruits of my harvest. Thank you for them. And then later on when he comes, that will be the harvest of the rest of uh, Christ's people. So it says, if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So this also proved to us that Christ can resurrect the dead. What if we had never seen Christ resurrect or heard of him resurrect anybody? What would our thoughts be for him saying, I'm going to come back and resurrect you? Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> we might not believe that because we would, have not, we would have known whether he could or he couldn't. You know, just because we're human, our human thought would have been like, he ain't never did it before. You know, we would have that doubt whether he could do it for us. Yeah. What state Maybe. do we live in? The show me state. Maybe, but I think that, um, I'm not for sure, but it seems to me like Abraham had an understanding of the Jesus coming back, um, you know, of salvation. It seemed like he kind of had that understanding. I think we, it could work. I'm sure that, that definitely is true in our mind where we are today. I believe if we hit the mind of like uh, Enoch, you know, or Elijah, or even Daniel, you know, in the, in the lion's den, if we have that type of belief that we can go in the lion's den and not die, we mm -hmm. can believe just about anything. Yeah. In fact, the Lord says, blessed are they who have seen and believe, but more blessed are those who have not seen and believe. Takes more faith to not see it, but Christ was just giving us a showing of his power that, yes, I can resurrect from the dead and I will do it again when I return. On uh, 104.2, it says the earthquake, the earthquake at his death had rent open their graves. And when they arose, they came forth with him. They were those who had been co-laborers with God and who at the cost of their lives, these people died for Christ, had borne testimony to the truth. Once again, the martyrs, even back at that time, he raised them from the dead because they had given their lives for the truth. And then the next paragraph down says, but those who came forth from the grave at Christ's resurrection were raised to everlasting life. They ascended with him as trophies of his victory over death in the grave. Pretty amazing. Now, of course, Christ raised the widow, the son of the widow of Nain and also Lazarus. But what happened to them? They went under death again. Yeah. Yeah, they were under death. Yeah. What'd you say, Patsy? I said I, I was gonna say they it says they were not clothed with immortality. They were not. Yeah, they died again. Less I would wonder what that would be like to have been Lazarus and he was dead for four days. I think he was the longest one of the three. Mm -hmm. And then you have been dead all that time. What's life like after that? <laughs> for him or for people around him I you know it's like for both it's like him people around him oh, I would think Lazarus faith and even those that that you know but we, the other two but I would think Lazarus faith was even stronger in that he that he could say death don't have no victory over me because I belong to God yeah yeah that's now, one, one of the things I'm thinking is people had to tell Lazarus he was dead, that he had died, 
Because when you die, you don't know. You just wake up kind of like being under anesthesia. That's why it's called, considered called asleep. And when you wake up, you hardly know what happened. And that's another testimony right there. Because, you know, people say like when you die, your spirit go to heaven. You're in all kinds. Of, you become spirit. Well, here it's, it's showing you you don't. You know, I, well, I bet you people were asking him, man, what was it like to be dead? And he was like, Shh, I don't know. It was just, <laughs> it was like. I just, I just went to sleep for a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing. And then I'm, I'm thinking too about the people around him. They, every time he walked down the street, they'd be like, he was dead. He was dead. Look, there's a guy that was dead. Because I'm here. To, and it wouldn't necessarily be a good thing. Because I remember, and I know I've shared this with you guys before, uh, one of the people I knew, I thought this brother had died. So I thought he had died, you know, a long while back. And I saw him at the grocery store. And I didn't run up to meet him. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on here? I thought this dude was dead. I ain't running up there. But come to find out, I had got him mixed up with somebody whose name was very similar. But so he's still alive, but I didn't run over there to shake his hand or nothing. So think about people walking around with Lazarus and the son of the widow's name. Not everybody's happy to see him. <laughs> and uh, here's where Alvina was talking about. Uh, these people went into the city and appeared unto many people declaring that Christ had risen from the dead and we are risen with him. So, you know, how would you feel if someone that you had seen die and buried was now knocking on your door telling you that Christ rose and I'm with him? How would you feel? What would you do? I ain't going to lie. The first thing I would be thinking, that they demons. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going to start quoting some Bibles and calling on Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wait a minute. I have a, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I thought when Jesus was on the cross and, and uh, did people wake up all the graves then when he was on the cross and died? I'm going to have to look that up and find out. Well, it says on um, paragraph 104.2, that is true. It says the earthquake, as Christ rose, he brought, the, brought from the grave a multitude of captives. The earthquake at his death, you're talking about Lakita, had rent open their graves. And then when he arose, they came forth with him. Oh, okay. So okay. possibly, you know, they used to bury people in tombs with big stones. And possibly at the earthquake at Christ's death, the stones were shaken loose or whatever happened. Then when Christ arose, those people came out of the graves at that time. And it makes me think too, Lakita, when it says when he arose, because he didn't he didn't come back uh, up until the third day, which mm -hmm. was that Sunday. So I'm assuming that yeah. when that when he when you know he he he, he rested, and when he was re was getting up to come back to do some uh, to show you know to get to with to his disciples and stuff, that those people were then would be his witnesses, you know that he's alive. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so that probably says to us too that Jesus probably won't return on the Sabbath because he honored the Sabbath in his death. That's right, he honored the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And even and he, and the resurrection of those saints didn't, wasn't completed or that didn't happen until after the Sabbath hours too. 
just speculating. We don't know what day and time. Just interesting point. No, it's yeah. Because he died on Friday. It was in the grave Friday evening, Saturday, Sunday morning. That's when he rose. So yeah, those people were there with their graves rent open, whatever that means. Stone partially rolled off or whatever. Because it wasn't, uh, it's very interesting. You know, and again, that's the whole point about you can't just read the Bible and think you know everything because it's just too much of stuff in there that God wants to bring out to us. But we have to be prayerful and ask him to open our minds and our hearts and to take the scales off our eyes so that we can see the spiritual meaning that he has in his word for us. And as we ask him for that, for the Holy Spirit's opening our eyes, he opens us up to more and more light from the scriptures as we uh, follow his will and what he has already opened so it's really Brother Kerr, I got another com I got another comment. When Lakita said he, you know, and she was just, you know, voicing that he probably won't come on the Sabbath. But then I look at when he talked about uh, it's good to do good on the Sabbath and he is the, the Lord of the Sabbath. And I thought if we was in times where we were going to be killed on the Sabbath, considering, you know, it's coming a time when, you know, they're Sabbath keeping, you know, they're not going to. Uh, be we're not going to be uh, loved at all, that they may try to kill us on the Sabbath. And I believe, you know, God, God, if it is his will, I believe if God knew, you know, if he said, you're, you're not going to hurt my, my children, and then they're trying to do it on the Sabbath, I think when God says it's over, he, it, it, I don't think it's going to matter other than he's coming to save his children. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thought. Because it is good to do good, and that would be a good thing to do on the Sabbath. <laughs> mm. There's a scripture that says, Isaiah 26, 19, says, Thy dead men shall live together with my, uh, thy dead men shall live together with my dead bodies shall they arise. Those folks' resurrection was an illustration of the fulfillment of that prophecy. Awake and sing, you that dwell in the death, for thy do is as the do of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. And that was Isaiah prophesying about uh, the righteous being resurrected. And finally, it says on the last paragraph, to the believer, Christ is the resurrection and the life. In our Savior, the life that was lost through sin is restored, for he has life in himself. That, that's just amazing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He has that life in him. And as we accept his sacrifice in our stead, then he gives that life to us to enjoy in heaven with him and in the earth made new. Amen. 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 And you notice, uh, Elder Curl, the, the Satan never did try to, uh, when, when Christ went ahead and rose Moses, Satan, all he could do was stand back and do nothing because he can't give life and he surely can't take it. Mm -hmm. No. That's why Jesus didn't argue with him. I have the power right here, and here it is. Nothing you can say about it. This it's proof is in the pudding, as I had said earlier. So, Any other final comments on that chapter? Who else is in heaven? I just want to be one of them ones that, that, that God say, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Amen. <laughs> we all agree to that for each ourselves as well. Uh, so this well, every week that we have our class, and especially this week, 
you know, I just want to live more fully for the Lord and put aside, you know, all the worldly concerns and cares and just do, you know, like, just live for Christ, you know, like Ellen G. White did, the disciples did that. Did you know, I think we covered in this class that the disciples' name will be on the 12 foundations of heaven. Can you believe that? That's like, wow. 12 foundations, their names are going to be on that. Is it heaven or the new earth? I'm not for sure. I have to really study and see. But foundations of the city. Yeah, Father, yeah, not heaven. The 12 foundations of the new city. And that's just so amazing to me, you know, like what you can accomplish or when we just fully, fully commit ourselves to just working for God and, and not caring so much about the rewards here on earth. I has not seen, neither has ear heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. So as we continue to study and pray and ask God for an enlightenment, our minds can't understand the way he does. We can't even think of the things that he has planned for us. But it's nice to think about it, you know, because it's good. Keep our eyes heavenward. Keep our thoughts heavenward so that we, too, can continue to walk with Christ just as Enoch walked with him and Christ called him home. At this time, and we you, know what, you know what else is nice, too, Elder Carroll? Even when you, like, like when I look at my phone sometimes, I'll get a message and it'll say, I'm just saying happy Sabbath to you. And I say, and I look at the number, and I don't always remember people's numbers, so I have to look at my, my phone book. And then I say, oh, that's Sister Paula. She just, you know, give me a little thing, let me know she's thinking about me. So it's just really nice, you know, just to slip something to somebody to encourage them. Just a little, little I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about you on the Sabbath. or You know, Sabbath is coming up, happy Sabbath. It just, it's really, it's really nice to hear. Thanks, Sister Paula. Yes, it is very nice and very thoughtful when people think of you. You know, I thought about that, um, Holly. That's been a thing this week. Someone said was complaining because somebody said just thinking about you. They had some kind of thing to say about that. And I kept thinking, what? That seemed like such a nice thing to say. So it is a wonderful thing when people remember you. And, and you sent me something too, Sister Lakita. So thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> But it's good, to, it's good to do it. We need to do it. I mean, we're in this time where we don't need to be isolated off by ourselves. We really don't. No. And everybody needs encouragement and a little bit of uplifting every now and then. Just the way life is, you know. Amen. Let's close out with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your blessed word. We thank you for the knowledge that you've imparted to us this day. We thank you for your Holy Spirit opening our eyes to that which you would have us to see. We ask and pray, dear Lord, that each day we'll walk closer and closer with you, that every day we'll become uh, more and more like Jesus. We ask and pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct us, lead us into all truth, and bless us to share the truth with others. In the blessed name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. 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 Do you know what Amen. chapter Karen's going to be on next week? Ooh, Are we still on 84? Uh, I believe we might be on the next chapter. Let me. Uh, okay. But for the week, we'll be on chapter 12. We learned about some who will be in heaven. Next time we meet on heaven, there'll be some who will not be there, which that's pretty interesting by itself. Okay, so for, we're on chapter okay. 84. Elder, Elder Carol, you've been fading out on me. Do you know what chapter Karen's going to be on? 
We're on chapter 84 and it's paragraph 481.1. Okay, thank you. 481.1 in chapter 84 in First Testimony. All right. See y'all. Be, be blessed. Enjoy the rest of the Sabbath.